0: I have always had a flair for drama. In grade three, I threatened to walk out of the school play when Ms. Baldwin cast me as a goblin instead of a fairy princess. Though in hindsight, my monobrow and buck teeth may have given her no choice. I considered myself a thespian and was never above producing fake tears to get my way. Looking back, I think my dramatic, perhaps overly emotional personality was formed by watching too many soap operas Every day after school, my sister Neha and I watched The Bold and the Beautiful and its lowbrow Australian equivalent neighbours, learning that people are never really dead and that the meaning of life is to find new and absurd ways to destroy your enemies. So naturally, when we moved to Mexico and needed a non-intellectually rigorous way to learn Spanish, telenovelas were the answer. I quickly learned that Mexican telenovelas are very different from American soaps. They air on primetime, not during the day, run for several months, rather than 40 years, and have been used by the Mexican government as a tool of social control. There are lots of different types of telenovelas, but the classic formula has three elements. First, an outlandish plot. Poor girl falls in love with rich guy. A scheming woman, and it's always a woman, tries to destroy the happy couple Someone gets horribly injured or dies, but love wins in the end. Second, extravagantly over-the-top acting. No problem is ever solved through quiet reflection. And third, dramatic sound effects, which tell the audience exactly what to feel. But despite all of this, the best telenovelas are really, really fun to watch. I asked my friend Alexandra to take me through the iconic telenovela scene, Maldita Aliciada. Featuring the villainous Soraya Montenegro, who makes Corella Deville look like a kindly grandma.
1: Okay, so here Soraya Montenegro comes inside the room, and she she, she sees um, her lover kissing this woman in the wheelchair, you no? Know? And she goes absolutely nuts. She's like,
0: "What the fuck are you doing?" You know. How how old do you think her lover is? A lot younger than her because her lover is the son of the guy that was her lover in the beginning. Okay, Alex, walk me through what's going on now. So she starts attacking the girl in the wheelchair again, telling her that uh, how does she dare put her hands on her her lover, and she starts threatening her that she's going to beat her, and she's going to remember this beating for the rest of her life, you know? See, she goes crazy with a lover, and she's like, you hurt me more than anyone, even more than your father. I'm Nita Rao, and this is Lost in Mexico, a podcast about my journey to understand Mexico through conversations with Mexicans. This episode, we're diving into the ridiculously over-the-top world of telenovelas, if you're thinking that telenovelas are just frivolous fun, think again. Telenovelas have had an outsized influence on Mexican society, from helping to bring down the world's most notorious drug lord, El Chapo, to increasing the sales of birth control. But as Mexico changes, telenovelas are fighting to stay relevant. I'll be speaking to Mexico's first openly gay telenovela actor, Christian Chavez, one of its brightest new stars, Dario Yazbek Bernal, and the lead writer of Netflix's La Casa de las Flores, Mara Vargas Jackson, about how they are changing the rules of Mexican television. This is Lost in Mexico. Act one, life on a telenovela set. I may be easily impressed, but I've always admired the ability of telenovela actors to deliver the most ridiculous performances while keeping a straight face. Everyone fawns over method actors like Meryl Streep and Daniel Day-Lewis. But could they deliver a deranged rant like Soraya Montenegro without breaking down laughing? What is acting in a telenovela actually like? The superstar Mexican actress Salma Hayek got her start in telenovelas. Here's a clip of her talking on the Late Late Show with James Corden about shooting a telenovela scene.
1: When, When we do the soaps in Mexico... We we have something in our ear called puntador that is telling you, feeding you all the lines. Yeah. Sometimes they write them five minutes before you say them. Really. And it's it, they also give you the stage directions, so it you it's an art. You really have to know how to use it, because I've seen people, you know, say, I love you, please never leave me. Exit to the right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hate you. I don't ever want to see you again. <laughs> You're blocking her your life. You know?
0: <laughs> I spoke to Laura Palma, an actress who has appeared in several Mexican telenovelas, including Quiere Me Tonto, Love Me Silly, and the intriguingly named Corazón en Condominio, Heart in Condominium. Laura is petite, with cascading curly hair and a full-body laugh. Like almost all successful telenovela actresses, she has fair skin and blindingly white teeth. She told me about one of her roles. I played a crazy lady
1: that was obsessed with with being a mom, and she couldn't. So she began to fake her... um, pregnancy with everyone and then ask uh, her husband to have a kid with another girl and then kidnap the girl and pretend that it was our child (laughs) and that was very very fun because I don't think I'm crazy well maybe a little but not at that level
0: (laughs) once you've acted in a few telenovelas it's pretty easy to predict your character story arc
1: If my boyfriend in the telenovela, it's a very handsome guy and he died in a car accident, then I'm going to see him all the time in my dreams. So he's going to appear all the time in my dreams. I want to make love in the dreams. I want to travel in the dreams. But the actor is going to be there all the telenovela till the end, you know?
0: Laura is a serious actress. She recently appeared in the Netflix series Luis Miguel, which is massive in Mexico. But she told me that she has a soft spot for telenovelas.
1: So at, the, at first, I, I, I felt very exaggerated because you don't act like that in real life. When someone breaks your heart, where you're not like this drama queen eh, crying everywhere, you know, or punching him in the middle of the treat. But afterwards, I really began to enjoy that moment because it's an opportunity for you to like explode when you are acting these like extreme scenes at the end it's like oh that was so fun
0: (laughs) act two the golden age of telenovelas when i told my mexican friends i was doing an episode on telenovelas some people laughed Some people cringed, but pretty much everyone admitted to having watched them growing up. This is my friend Carolina, who studies linguistics and translation. She told me that although she found telenovelas frustrating, she still watched them every night over dinner with her mother Rosa. It was part of their shared history.
2: Keep in mind that a telenovela that is popular will literally paralyze the a huge portion of the Mexican population from certain hours of the day, say from 7 o'clock to 9 o'clock.
0: This is Alan Stavins, professor of Latin American and Latino culture at Amherst College and editor of a book on telenovelas.
2: Sometimes the Mexican Senate has chosen to vote on a particular issue at 7 o'clock because they know that uh, people are going to be distracted and there's not going to be protest about it. Um, they, the government itself has cancelled its own event in order to see the ending of a telenovela.
0: Professor Starvens has seen the cultural power of telenovelas firsthand.
2: Yeah, I am proudly the son of a very prominent Mexican soap opera telenovela star. Uh, My father acted in, wow, 30 or 40 telenovelas. When I was young, if if my father was in one of those telenovelas and we would be walking on the market or on the street and he would be playing a villain, then people would come and spit at him or say nasty words. They would not establish the difference between the actor and the character. On the other hand, he was doing the good fatherly figure or the benign benign clown. They would come and thank him for having rescued the innocent girl from the evil character.
0: Telenovelas have had such a grasp on the Mexican public that the former ruling party, PRI, used its cozy relationship with the major producer of telenovelas, Televisa, to change behavior. The 1975 telenovela Ben Conmigo was designed to increase adult literacy, with enrollments at literacy centers increasing by 600,000 that year. In 1977, the telenovela Acompaname helped boost contraceptive sales by 23%. But telenovelas have also been used for more insidious purposes.
2: Mexican government since the 50s has very intelligently understood the value that a telenovela has in the social control of the population. For instance, if there is a rebellion, as it happened in 1992, in Chiapas, of the Zapatistas, the government will invest twice as much money in new telenovelas to distract the population of what is happening in the south of the country.
0: Mexican telenovelas have distracted people all over the world.
3: After
2: oil, the telenovela form is the biggest export from Mexico to the world.
0: The 1994 telenovela Marima was so popular in the Ivory Coast that Moss reportedly issued the call to prayer early so people could catch the show. Shortly after the end of the Cold War, a staggering 70% of Russians, more than 100 million people, regularly watched Los Ricos Tambian Joran, which means the rich also cry. the Moscow Times reported that when the show started, streets became desolate, crowds gathered in stores selling TV sets, tractors stopped in the fields, and guns fell silent on the Azerbaijani-Armenian front. Professor Starvens told me that telenovelas resonated with so many people because of their predictability and because they play to working-class fantasies of social advancement. Unlike the United
2: States, where supposedly there is social mobility, if you arrived poor, you at least are told that you have a chance of climbing up in the economic ladder. Latin America, and Mexico in particular, is much more rigid because there's no such thing as a Mexican dream compared to the American dream. So telenovelas give people a semblance of what could happen but it never really happens.
0: Professor Hugo Benavides, an expert on Mexican telenovelas, told me that there was something distinctively Latin about the appeal of telenovelas.
4: Melodrama is an essential part of our life. We have an expression in Latin America where we say, you know, ni en telenovelas, right? Like not even a telenovela would be this melodramatic, right? Not even a telenovela would be this predictable.
0: One of the biggest fans of telenovelas was the world's most notorious drug lord, Joaquín El Chapo Guzmán. El Chapo, the head of the Sinaloa cartel, seemed bulletproof. In 2015, he became world famous for his audacious escape from a maximum security prison in Mexico.
4: Mexico's most notorious prisoner walked to his shower and vanished. Guzmán slipped through a two-foot hole cut into the shower. He dropped into a ventilated tunnel tall enough for a man nicknamed Shorty to stand up straight. There was even a motorcycle to speed him away until he climbed out almost a mile south of the prison into a half-built home.
0: But his downfall was falling in love with his favorite telenovela actress, Kate del Castillo, who played a narco-trafficker in La Reina del Sur. Sur, Here's Professor Stavins again.
2: El Chapo fell in love with her and started to send her letters. She ended up uh, flying to Mexico and uh, having a session with him. The government found this out. Uh, And in the end, they used her cell phone data to find the location where El Chapo was and finally arrested. So you can see there that novellas are never innocent.
0: I wanted to speak to someone who became famous at the zenith of telenovelas. Cristian Chavez is Mexico's first openly gay telenovela star. Cristian was massive in Mexico in the mid-2000s. He was part of an incredibly successful telenovela, Rebelde, which at its peak was watched by around a quarter of all Mexican households, and its spin-off pop group, RBD, that is still Mexico's most successful pop group. To understand Erebede, as the Washington Post put it, think of Britney Spears and the power of prefab pop married to fresh scrubs, sex appeal and really good hair products. Erebede sold over 20 million albums worldwide and packed out stadiums across Latin America with over 500,000 fans attending one concert in Brazil, breaking the Rolling Stones record. My friend Anna grew up in Mexico during this time.
2: So,
5: of course, like any other Mexican teenager, I was obsessed with RBD and with Rebelde, la telenovela. I would rush home from school and I just remember watching it. Of course, I love Christian Chavez. I just identify RBD with you know, a really good part of my teenage years
0: Christian is a handsome man with an impressive selection of six pack photos on his Instagram page. He's also not short of words, and what we thought would be a brief interview turned into an hour and a half conversation about a very wide range of issues. Before I start telling Christian's story, there is something you should know. Earlier this year, Christian's ex boyfriend, Maiko Kemper, accused him in a magazine interview of striking him in the head with a tequila bottle. In our interview, Christian expressly denied that allegation and told us that he was suing Mr. Kemper for extortion. We've decided not to include that part of the tape here because it's not relevant to our story about Mexican telenovelas and because we don't have enough information to evaluate its veracity. The matter is being investigated by the police. Christian knew from a very young age that he wanted to be an actor.
4: Since I was a little kid, I remember that my dad used to take me to a theater. Uh, and, I, and I used to be like, wow, especially the musical theater, no? Because for me, it was like, oh, my God, this connection is magic, like music and dancing and acting and timing. And I was like, I want to be there one day.
0: Christian also realized something else from a very young age, that he was gay. In around 2000, when he was 16 or 17 years old, he told his parents.
4: So I remember that that night I sit my parents in the in the living room and I was like, "Mom, Dad, I am gay." But first of all, I, I bought a, a book which uh, the the name of the book is "Mom, Dad, I'm Gay." And my mom at the beginning she was like, "You know what?" Because she was really uh, we I grew up as a Catholic, uh, so my mom was really like, "No, God, don't don't like this." And I was like, "Mom, I spent, 5 years of my life since I was like 11 asking God to change me because I knew that this was bad and this is what not not what he wanted from me and it didn't happen so I'm pretty sure that he wants me to be like this and that doesn't mean that I'm going to be a bad person
0: Eventually Christian's parents accepted his sexuality but then he told his dad that he was turning down the opportunity to study architecture at Cambridge to instead attend the Televisa acting school
4: he was like, well, if you want to take those kind of decisions and you're on your own, you can sleep and you can eat here in this house, but you're not going to have any other uh, monetary support from our part.
0: Christian's decision paid off. In 2004, he got his big break as one of the stars in the hit teen telenovela Rebelde. Rebelde is set in an elite private boarding school in Mexico City and features a cast of semi-undressed teenagers whose idea of rebellion is changing their hair colours. The show is perfectly vertically integrated. The characters in the show form a pop group, Erebede, and Erebede's songs are played throughout the episodes. Christiana, eat your heart out. So Christian was on top of the world, playing a liberated and unconstrained character who was adored across the Latin world. But he still couldn't publicly express who he really was.
4: In Mexico, we have a a macho society, we have a double standard society, which is like,
0: oh no, how cool that you
4: talk about your sexuality, that's really good. But inside it's like, well, not in my house, you know, or not in my uh, uh, movie or not in my series.
0: In October 2006, Christian denied rumors of his homosexuality, saying, I'm not gay and no one has the right to make up things about me. But a few months later his producer called him
4: and he was like hey Christian I have a question for you and I was like yes and he's like are you married and I was like uh. and he's like, and I was like why and he's like because they uh, they're trying to blackmail televisa because they have some pictures of you uh, getting married and like kissing your boyfriend and and, uh, and he, w- he was like, well, can you come to the house? And then I, I went to his house and I was like, yeah, I'm married. I've been married for two years. And, uh, well, yeah, those pictures are, are real. And he's like, well, Televisa really want us to uh, say that it was just kind of like a short film or something.
0: Christian told his producer that he wouldn't cave in to Televisa's pressure.
4: And I talked to him, and I was like, you know what? When I was 16 years old, 15, 14, 13, I was asking to God, please change me every night because I know you don't want this for me, and it didn't happen, and I had a really bad time with it. So I would like to see somebody when I was uh, 16, 14, 15, uh, in the TV that it would be like, hi, I'm gay, I'm married, and I'm still famous, and nothing is wrong with it.
0: Christian published a statement on the RBD website.
4: It was uh, the hardest thing, one of the hardest things I, I've ever done. It's like asking forgiveness for something you shouldn't be asking forgiveness. You know, it's, it's something really weird. And 14 years ago, I, I couldn't even say gay in the statement. I, I didn't even say the word gay.
0: Christian's statement was received positively by many of his fans, and he even got a supportive message from Ricky Martin, who didn't come out until three years later in 2010. But his acting career went into a downward spiral. He told me that he would always get the same reaction when he went for roles.
4: Well, you know what, you, you just said you're gay, so I don't think people is going to believe that 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 you are doing a straight character, because you know it's like weird and... So it was, at the beginning, it was really difficult. It took me like almost four to five years to really get the job I wanted. They want me to do just the gay characters, and I was like, why would I do just gay characters because I talk about my sexuality? So I had to leave the, the acting for a while.
0: By this stage, Erebeder had split up, and Christian was trying to become a solo artist. He received a call from his record company, EMI.
4: And he was like, hey, uh, we have a problem with the radio stations because they're like, we cannot support gay music. And I'm like, but my music is not t- it's not talking about anything gay. And they're like, yeah, but they, they, they're saying that. So we're going to have to wait to do another album. So I got really pissed and I was like, I want to finish uh, the contract with you
0: guys. Despite these setbacks, Christian's career didn't completely grind to a halt. In 2011, he released a gay anthem, Libertad, with a racy music video featuring Perez Hilton that has been viewed over 16 million times. But the success he craved, starring roles on Mexican television, proved to be elusive. Act 3, The Future of
3: Mexican Television So when I was around 14 years old, I had this mind-blowing moment of realizing that
0: TV shows and movies were written by someone. This is Mara Vargas Jackson, the head writer of Netflix's smash hit La Casa de las Flores or The House of Flowers. I was like, what? Like there's an
3: actual job where you get paid to write it. Why isn't
0: everybody doing this? It's the best job ever. Mara is super smart, has razor-sharp wit, and is highly attuned to the social realities of Mexican life. But even she watched telenovelas growing up.
3: They were like guilty pleasures. You know, like eating McDonald's every day. Like you don't want to tell people that you're eating it, but it's so good. It's in us. It's very hard to take the telenovela out of a Mexican. It, even if, if we, we want to pretend like we're above it,
0: but Mara didn't want to write traditional telenovelas. As a progressive, ambitious storyteller, she looked at Mexican television and didn't see anything that excited her. We only had
3: um, telenovelas. And it was around like, the, what, what a lot of people call like the golden age of television in the U.S. when Sopranos led to Mad Men, led to um, Breaking Bad, that a lot of people in Mexico were like, why aren't we doing this?
0: In a Mexico ruled by telenovelas, more complex shows didn't stand a chance on the major networks.
3: Networks weren't really interested in trying anything new. They had the idea that telenovelas worked and they were super successful. And if you came up and said like, okay, I want to do something different. like Instead of having a show that's every day at nine and it's the plot that everybody knows, I want to do a different show that's like maybe deeper characters, layered stories. And I just want to do it once a week. You know, they would say, nobody wants to watch anything once a week. Everybody wants to watch something that's every day and that they know what's going to happen.
0: Fast forward to 2018, traditional Mexican telenovelas with their predictable stories, shallow characters, and poor production values are fighting for their survival. In 2017, Televisa posted its worst result in two decades. According to the Wall Street Journal, telenovelas have lost half of their viewing share in Mexico in the past 15 years. In Mexico and elsewhere, more and more people are watching Turkish and South Korean telenovelas rather than Mexican ones. And then there's the elephant in the room, Netflix. Mara got her dream opportunity, writing on the Netflix show La Casa de las Flores. The show is a black comedy about a dysfunctional upper class Mexican family, and features, in the first episode no less, a woman hanging herself in a flower shop, a secret homosexual affair, and the arrival of two illegitimate children. It's different from anything that has ever been seen on Mexican TV, and frankly, anything I've ever seen, sort of like a queer millennial version of Desperate Housewives but with more nudity, drugs, and a complete disregard for social taboos. And the homosexual sex scenes, including a gay threesome, are titillating rather than confronting, a long way from Brokeback Mountain.
3: Our expectation was that it was going to be a small show for like millennials, a queer show that, yeah, maybe the queer community, you know, they're going to love it,
0: but we never ever thought it was going to be this big. Aside from some progressive telenovelas on Televisa's rival network, TV Azteca, Mexican television has generally been quite conservative. Queer characters have rarely featured on primetime television. La Casa de las Flores was genuinely groundbreaking. For me, it was a huge thing to be like the first TV
3: series ever to give a trans character an arc. That wasn't like the end of a joke, which is like how... How the trans community has been, um, you know, shown in Mexico was like, oh, this guy that he with his buddies and he's like, dude, do you know the, that girl that you made
0: out with last night? She was actually a guy, and he was like, ha ha, and he's like, ew. Instead, Maria Jose, the trans character, is a well-educated and highly successful attorney who is defined by her strengths rather than the discrimination she faces. And that's what makes La Casa de las Flores so different from traditional telenovelas. The characters have complex inner lives and are not defined by one characteristic, even their sexuality or gender identity. And although the show borrows from telenovelas through its unabashedly melodramatic plot and absurd twists, it satirizes many of the traditional tropes.
5: The show itself is farcical, and it's kind of like a take on telenovelas from a practical perspective.
0: This is Dario Yazbek Bernal, who plays Julian on the show, a bisexual character who's always finding himself in trouble.
5: No, mama, bisexual.
0: ¿Bisexual? ¿Qué es bisexual? roommates? No. Papa, pon atención, es gay. Es su bisexual. pareja. Bisexual. Dario has delicate features and a mass of curls, reminiscent of a French Renaissance painting. He has a slight smile with a tendency to laugh nervously at my excessively direct questions, and he's very introspective. He's also the half-brother of one of Mexico's most famous actors, Gael García Bernal. Unlike Christian Chávez, Dario never wanted to be an actor.
5: I wanted to, to be a politician, maybe be a diplomat, maybe something that had nothing to do with, uh, with this because I... I I love history. I actually I have a master's in history. I have other interests as well, so I thought maybe the world is bigger.
0: Dario was also hesitant about entering the same field as his Golden Globe winning brother. As someone who didn't want to play the flute in the high school orchestra because of my sister's past successes, I can relate.
5: Obviously, it's something that always bothered me at first, uh, but I thought, oh, they're going to compare and maybe it's going to be very complicated. And absolutely. And After some time and thinking about it, I realized that it's a very different world and uh, the path that everybody has is very different. You can't compare because you can't have real comparison points.
0: Dario had plenty of reasons not to go into acting, but he was drawn to playing Julian, one of the most complex bisexual characters ever depicted in a major TV series.
5: Okay, he's bisexual, but that bisexuality doesn't mean that you're a certain way. And that doesn't define you as a person either. Bisexuality is something that's very complicated in the LGBTQ plus community. There's a lot of bias against it from the community itself and from other people. When I was doing a bit of research and asking people and asking friends, especially friends who are girls, would you go out with a bisexual boy? And they were like, no, no way. And I was like, why? And they said, well, because at the end of the day, I think they're gay. And asking a lot of my gay friends, they would be like, "Yeah, we'll go out with that bisexual guy, sure." But I know at the end of the day, he's gay as well. And so I realized this is also a question about gender and masculinity, which is how the role of a man is justified to one thing, and once you break that, there's no coming back. And you know, from a female perspective, bisexuality is much more open, and it's easier to talk about it because girls. Can be bisexual. And I mean, it's mostly because it comes from the male gaze that sees bisexuality as something that turns people on and lets, therefore, girls be bisexual. It is a sexual male gaze, and it's not something about their identity or their sexual identity, which in case of men, I think it is. And there's also a need, desperate need for definition. What are you? Decide. You have to decide. You're this or this.
0: But Julian's bisexuality though important to his story, doesn't define his character. Dario's portrayal of Julian is a long way from the gay characters on Will and Grace and Modern Family.
5: We think of, of sexuality as something that defines us, but it doesn't. It's like, why? Why do I have to be like Julian the gay, whatever? Julian the gay cook, Julian the gay, no, no, no. Sexuality doesn't define if, you do, if you're good at your job or not. Sexuality doesn't define you if you do certain things and and how you do them.
0: Someone who also didn't want to be defined by his sexuality was Christian Chavez. He spent years trying to avoid being typecast as an actor capable of playing only gay characters.
4: I start to look for characters that they they didn't need like a sexuality, like a father, like a priest, or like a demon.
0: But Cristian agreed to play Pato in La Casa de las Flores, a vivacious gay man who gets bashed to death by his closeted partner for trying to expose his sexuality. The role was personal for Christian.
4: My mom's best friend, he got killed by his family one Christmas because they caught him uh, with his boyfriend and they knocked him till death. So I was like crying, I called my mom and I was like, you cannot believe what I'm going to do. And this is really strong. And my mom started to, to, to cry also. And she's like, oh, my God, I I, I, don't, I don't know if I could see it, you know, if I can watch it.
3: It's hard for people to sometimes understand when they see that here in the U.S., you know, you have shows that even have, like, non-binary characters and, like, how progressive um, TV and film seem to be. And then try to understand that people in Mexico, like I have friends my age that, you know, are part of this like hipster universe, whatever, who haven't told their parents that they're gay and it's 2020 and they're in their 30s. Like, this is real.
0: Ultimately, La Casa de las Flores shows that Mexican television has come a long way from traditional telenovelas. Instead of just including queer characters, a bridge too far for most telenovelas, It gave them a meaningful story arc and did not define them by their sexuality. Televisa has followed suit by airing a new telenovela about a gay couple. So the new era of Mexican television might help push telenovelas to embrace more daring themes and complex characters. But it's important not to overstate these changes. Netflix is expanding fast, but it still only has a little over 7 million subscribers in Mexico, a country of 126 million. Televisa still defines what most Mexicans watch, especially the 40% of the population without internet. It's telling that Christian Chavez's return to the spotlight has come playing a gay character after he spent years trying to avoid being defined by his sexuality. And even on La Casa de las Flores, all of the major characters are white and live in a privileged bubble. Darío and Mara aspire to overcome these barriers in their next projects.
5: Like, I'm very tired of always seeing, like, stories from La Condesa that happen in La Condesa or, like, rich neighbourhoods that's boring now. Like, I also want to see what happens maybe in Yucatan or maybe what happens in Sinaloa or happens somewhere else.
3: Yeah, we need to start giving, you know, darker-skinned Mexicans roles that are not just the domestic worker, the driver, the narco, the bad guy... Um, the poor guy, we are a Mexican, we're, we are producing shows in Mexico or making films in Mexico and none of our characters look like the majority
0: of the population. I'm Nita Rao and this is Lost in Mexico. Thank you for joining us for episode three. To never miss an episode, please subscribe to the show in your podcast app and follow us on Instagram at lostinmexico.podcast special thanks to my executive producer, Kieran, and to Kevin, Zara, and Farah for helping us spread the word about the episode. We'd love to know what you thought. You can leave us a review through Apple Podcasts. We'll be back soon with the next episode. See you then.